All right, we are going to be in Joshua chapter 4 this morning. Joshua chapter 4. Chapter four. Actually, we're going to start with a verse I read this week, um, just in my personal reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says this, and I think we got it on the screen for all those who, you don't have to turn there. It says this, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Okay, so this is from the same period of time that we're going to be talking about in Joshua chapter 4. It's like uh, the end of Deuteronomy. If you didn't know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, right? So this is the end of Deuteronomy, right before Joshua, the events of the early part of Joshua. So this is, we're talking about like weeks within each other. When this was written in the story that we're going to talk about, it says, only take care to keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that you have seen. Now, think about this. This was written to a people. If you know your Bible history, if you don't know your Bible history, that's fine too, right? But this was written to the people who were in slavery in Egypt and watched the 10 plagues of Egypt fall upon the Egyptians to set them free. You've heard the VBS song, let my people go, right? Or like the Charlton Heston movie or whatever your frame of reference is. Like they watched that happen. Then they crossed the Red Sea. Then they watch pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Then there was water from a rock. Then there was like, there's all these things that these people watched happen, like incredible things, like some of the most incredible stories in your Bible. And God feels the need to tell these people who have seen all this, don't forget. Let that sink in for just a second. This group of like... If God had told people who had only seen like one thing, they'd be like lived in a jungle their whole life, and then God just did one miracle, and he's like, don't forget the miracle. That would have made sense, right? If they had one thing, and they was like, don't forget the one thing. Like, but these are people who had for 40 years watched God do incredible thing after incredible thing after incredible thing after incredible thing. There is no explanation for how they are, where they are, who they are, other than God is incredible and did miracle after miracle after miracle. And he has to say to those people, don't forget. Now, I'm a husband. I'm a man. I have friends that are men. I spent seven years of my life as a teenage boy, and as of a month ago, I have a teenage son. So I am one of the most qualified people you will ever talk to on the subject of forgetting. (laughs) And in all my experience with forgetting, I do know that there is only one reason you say the words, don't forget. And that's because you know the person you're talking to is going to forget, right? And I didn't realize that until I became a parent. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's what my parents kept saying, all that stuff that I don't remember, right? Because they were looking at you, and you teenagers, you don't know this, and I'm not, like, mad at you, but you get a look on your face where it's like, what I'm saying to you is not making it in there, and I can tell it's not. And you you say stuff like, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. So God sees these people who have seen him work in the most astounding ways And God is concerned about them forgetting. Now I'm thinking to myself, if people who walked across the Red Sea could forget, anybody could forget, right? Anybody could forget if those people could forget. And this might surprise you, but the idea of remembering is very near and dear to the heart of God. God's not just like, hey, remembering is something we do. 
remembering is like who the people of God are at their core. From the very beginning of your Bible, God set up ways and specific rhythms of life intended to make people remember. He's like, you will not remember the things you need to remember if you just go live your life the way you think you need to live it. And so it's funny because every once in a while when you're reading through your Bible, you see something and God makes a bigger deal of it than you think he should. Like, whoa, calm down about that. Like, why are you so mad about this? Like, whoa, why is there so much punishment around that? And what you should do when you see that kind of a thing is you should like stop and take a minute and be like, oh, if God says this is a big deal, then I probably need to adjust my thinking about whether or not that's a big deal. Right? It's, it's kind of foolish to be like, God, that's not a big deal. Trust me, I know. No, trust him. He knows it is a big deal. And remembering is one of those things. We actually see it from the very beginning of your Bible. At the very beginning of your Bible, God creates everything for six days straight. And on the seventh day, he rests as a day to be set apart and be remembered. So like the very first thing he does is like create, 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 rest in order to remember. So literally within the first page of your Bible, there is God setting up a structure and rhythm of life that is intended to cause humans to remember. Page one of your Bible. And we go a little further in your Bible and we see people of God begin to set up what are called Ebenezers. Okay, so Eben is the Hebrew word for stone. So the, like the literal translation would be a stone of help. Not that the stone actually helps us, but we set up stones in places that God helped us and remember those things. And so you see the people of God doing that over and over. They're like, something amazing God did here. And they set up stones. And, they, and so uh, you might have heard there's some old hymns and things that talk about Ebenezer's. That's this idea of people going like, we need to remember this. We need to remember how good God has been. And so as you go through your Bible, you'll notice people setting those up. And then we zoom out and take a bigger picture look at the people of God. And God instructs his people to remember specific times and events and details of his character by these things called feasts, right? And he sets them up at different times in the year, right? Similar to our holidays, except for uh, a feast in the Bible is like a party with a purpose, right? It's like, yeah, we're going to party in order to remember this about God or what he did or this about his character. And so over and over, we see God setting these things up in order to remember, lest you forget, like the verse that I read just said. And then we, it doesn't stop there. We get into the New Testament, remember? And Jesus, on the night before he died, he held up the bread and the cup, and we say, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget. Don't forget, because you have a tendency in yourself to forget. So today, we're going to take a look at the story which became the inspiration for the name of the church, Riverstone Chapel. Uh, and it's a story not only about what God did, but also what it looks like to remember well. So for context, the story actually starts at the very beginning of your Bible. And God creates everything perfect. Mankind decides they're going to do their own thing, decides... God, what you're giving us is not enough for us. We need more. We need more information. We need to know, like, that fruit thing that you told us not to touch, we're good. We're going to take it and see how we feel about it. And so they turn their back on God, uh, and everything breaks, right? Disobedience introduces this idea of sin into the world. Sin is this idea of, like, things are not working like they're supposed to work. That's as simple as it is, right? So literally everything in creation 
starts to be infected by sin. It's like this corruption, this disease that starts to spread through everything that God made. And not one thing on the planet that God created continues to function as it was intended to function. That's why you got tsunamis killing people and cancer where a cell in your body is just like, I'm out, I'm doing my own thing, right? Or stillborn babies and, and all this crazy stuff that you're like, what the heck is going on there? Yeah, everything's broken. Nothing works like it should anymore. And God comes down to people in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, and he says, you guys suck. I'm sending you all to hell. No, he doesn't say that. He said, I'm going to send a savior. Which is surprising because lots of people think God came down and said like, you're going to have to work your way out of this. This is going to take a really long time. You're going to have to be a good person for a long time. No, that's not what he said. He said, the seed of the woman is coming. The seed of the woman, and he's going to fix all this. And so from that point on, everybody was like, let's go. Where's this guy at? Like the savior, like the seed of the woman, the one that's going to fix everything, where is he at? And so they, they get in preparation for this guy that's supposed to be coming. And so the Bible zooms in on this people, uh, this guy named Abraham, actually. And the reason the Bible zooms in on Abraham is because God promises that that seed of the woman, that savior of the world is going to come from Abraham's family. And so for the rest of your Bible, from Genesis chapter 12, all the way to the New Testament, it's just following around Abraham's family because that Savior of the world is coming from his family. And so God, at the very beginning of that story, tells Abraham three promises. He said, one, I'm going to make your family into a nation. This you and your wife, and at the time they had zero kids and couldn't have kids, just by the way. Right? He says, I'm going to make you into a nation. And the second promise, he says, I'm going to give you offspring and a homeland. So you're not just going to be a nation that's out wandering. You're going to have a homeland, and it's a specific land. It's not just like, hey, you get a land somewhere someday when I have some extra. He's like, no, this is going to be your land. And then the third promise was, you're going to be a blessing to the whole world because the Savior of the world is going to come from this nation and this homeland. So those are the three promises that God gives to Abraham. So after God made those three promises, 400 years goes by. 400 years. Think about that. Our country's been around for a little over 200 years, right? So 400 years goes by. And during that time, Abraham's family has multiplied to hundreds of thousands of people, but they're still not a nation because all of them are slaves in Egypt. There's forced slavery in Egypt. So if you read in your Bible, the book of Exodus, that's the story of how God brings the Israelites out of that slavery and causes them to be free. And at that point, the first promise to Abraham is fulfilled. At the end of the book of Exodus, the people are free. Like they're a nation now. They're not answering to anybody. They're governed by God. Israel actually means governed by God. So the nation of Israel is governed by God. And they're not subject to the forced labor of the Egyptians anymore. And that first promise is fulfilled. And now... It's an 11-day journey from Egypt to the promised land that God said he was going to give them. I actually have a map for you if this will help you. We'll throw it up there. Good job, guys. So you see Egypt down there on the bottom left? The red area is the promised land. These two little bunny ear things coming up from the bottom, that's the Red Sea. So they cross the Red Sea, right, and then come up the right side of, that's the Dead Sea, long story short. They end up coming from this end on the red part. Uh, into the promised land, and they get to the edge, right? They get to the edge of this promised land, and they're like, I don't know if we should go over there. And they send out 12 spies in the story. 
And the 12 spies go and they hang out in the land, the promised land that God said he was going to give them. And they come back and 10 of the 12 are like, no, God, God, no. He, he, he said he was going to give us that. It's, it's not happening. The people over there are too big. Their cities are too well fortified. There's too many of them. I saw a nine foot dude walking around. I'm not fighting him, right? And so they just, 10 of the 12 come back. You're like, you know what? God's not enough to get us over there. I know God made a promise, but that he's, it's, he's mistaken. We, we can't do that. And there's two of the guys, two of the 12 are like, let's go. God said he's enough. We watched him part the Red Sea and pillar by cloud by day and fire by night. We saw him make water from the rock. We saw him give manna on the ground. We saw him bring quail in. We saw him devour his enemies with like the earth open up. And, like who cares how big they are, right? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Let's go. And those two guys get shouted down by the rest. And there's actually scriptures in your Bible that talk about this. They forgot the things the Lord has done for them. They forgot. God had built all this culture of remembering, and they forgot. And it led them to the conclusion that God was not enough to get them to where he said he was going to get them. And, and God basically says, if you don't want to go in the promised land, I'm not going to make you go into the promised land. You don't have to go into the promised land. I will give you what you want, and you can stay outside the promised land. If you don't think I'm enough to get you where I promise to get you, then you can stay outside of where I want to get you. And you get what you want. And side note, it's not a, a point in this message, but sometimes you got to be careful what you pray for, right? God gives them what they want. And for the next 40 years, they wander around outside of the promised land. And that whole generation of leaders and adults dies off. 40 years. And they die off in the wilderness. And they wander around down here. This is a map from a different part of your Bible, but where it says David's kingdom, they wander around over there in the desert for 40 years. And that whole generation dies off. And then the kids now come to the edge of the promised land and they're ready to go. They're like, we watched our parents forget what God had done. We watched our parents act as if God was not enough to do what he said he was going to do. And so as Joshua, the book of Joshua opens, they actually start to cross the Jordan River into the promised land for the first time. It says, as the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant into the river, the river stops and they walk across on dry ground. And after they all get across, that's where we pick it up in Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. So look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. Like I said, if you got a white or a blue Bible, it's page 103. It said, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each one of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So God 
commands Joshua. He says, grab 12 guys, one from each tribe, and go grab a stone from the river and stack them so you guys don't forget. So there should be a stack of 12 stones, right? And these are Jewish people. Like, I'm not trying to bag on the Jewish people, but these aren't like Norwegian Vikings, right? So these are probably normal-sized stones, not some crazy, like, pillar. I don't know if you watch, like, the Highland games or something, right? Like, those guys probably built some stone stacking things. But these are just, like, regular stones stacked in the promised land so that when people asked... They had an answer. Now, I don't want to stop here because if we did stop here, we could mistakenly draw the conclusion that these stones were some sort of like an insider handshake, right? It's like, hey, I'm in the club. Are you in the club? Do you know what the story is? Because I know what the story is. And kind of like we have this thing like, I know what the stones are. Do you know what the stones are? And we all know that the church and the people of God historically can be a little bit of an insider handshake, right? Like we're in, you're out. Heh. Sucks to be you, right? That's not actually the point of these stones, right? If you just stop right there, you might get that. But it actually couldn't be further from the truth. This isn't like secret knowledge that only the initiated could understand. You know, you talk to like, you see like a cult member on like one of those movies and like, you just wouldn't get it. It's like, explain it to me. It's like, I can't, you're not enlightened, right? That's not what God's doing here, okay? So don't mistake that. That's not what's happening. Look at verse 19. Skip down to the bottom of uh, page 103. Verse 19 said, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan River, Joshua set up a Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Okay, cool story, bro. But what is it about Joshua chapter 4 that is so great that you would name a church after it? Like, why is this story worth so much remembering? Why is it that important? Let's start here. Let's say you're a parent and your child asks you, yo, dad, what's this stack of stones over here about? Where does that story start? Where, where do you start to explain that to your kids? You cannot begin anywhere else but with the goodness of God. You can't start that story anywhere else. How stupid would it sound? If you're like, hey, well, you know, I did a few plagues in Egypt, and then I parted the Red Sea, and then I provided for... No, your, your kid would be like, no, you didn't. You're my dad. Like... I know you. Like, there's no way you start that story about yourself. I worked really hard. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. No, that's a ridiculous way to tell a story and a not true way to tell a story. The story has to start with the goodness of God. The power of this story comes in God. God is the initiator. God is the executor of everything of value that comes from the story. This story is God initiated. Okay, it starts with and is carried on and sustained by God. 
This is not man initiated. This is God initiated. The story is not just, this is just a place where a cool thing happened. This is the place where God did what he said he was going to do. This is the place where God made good on his promise. This is the place where we were reminded that the word of God never fails. This is the place where God did what he said he was going to do, and God proved once again that he was enough when our fathers think he wasn't enough. So right up the front, these stones don't just signify a moment. This isn't just a place where something cool happened. These stones represent a truth, a truth about the unfailing nature of our God. Not only is the initiator, but that he's as good as he says he is. And we're not just reminded of what happened as we tell the story, but we're reminded that all this begins with God. If you're a note taker, God is the initiator. Write that down. That's the, the thing we learn right up front, right? That's what. The great thing about it is if we get that right, if we get God in his rightful place, then the rest of this falls out so much easier, right? It's really easy to get yourself in the right place when you get God in the right place to start. Somebody say amen. That's really good. I just made that up. Not even in my notes, Right? So if the people, if all of it begins with God, then our role can only be response. If he started it, the best we can do is respond. The best we can do is respond to what he's already done. The life of the people of God has always been a life of response. He initiates, we respond. Again, we didn't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps we responded to his kindness and goodness. And so as you start to tell this story, it will be immediately clear that all we have and all we are is a result of the kindness and goodness of God. The land they were given, the nation that they were, the fact that they were even having a conversation between child and parent at all was 100% a gift of God. So the life they were called to live was a life to the response of the goodness of God. And this is what's so great about those 12 stones and the 12 stones that are on our logo, if you didn't know. It's a reminder that all of this is because of him and all we're called to do is respond in gratefulness. That's it. The world, actually, I'm just gonna say this and you can say yay or nay. Does the world need any more people who think they are the reason that the world exists? No, man. Like we got plenty of people who think the world revolves around them. We got plenty of people on this planet who think everything should be about them. Hey, do this for me. Actually, you can help me. I can get this. We, like, that's not the story of the scriptures. We don't need any more people like that. You may not know this about yourself, but you and I, like everybody else on the planet, have this tendency to make ourselves the center of life. That was actually the original sin, taking God out of the center and putting yourself in the center. And it happens inside the church just as much as it happens anywhere else on the planet. People come to church and still make themselves the center of all that goes on in their life. Can you imagine if your kid asks you about the stones and you start to talk about yourself? It's just, and what's crazy about this is the reason God built the patterns of remembrance into the life of his people is because they are terrible at remembering. You and I will forget that we are not the center of the universe like by 1130 today without God's help, right? Service will be done at 11. By 1130, you'll be like, learn how to drive, loser. 
I got places to go, right? Like, we will be the center of our own world instantly without the grace of God to help us. I, I think of this. It's like God and the angels are like getting together. This didn't really happen. It's not in the scriptures, but it's just how my mind works. Like God's hanging out with like Gabriel and Michael. And he's like, we got to make them do this every week or they're going to forget. Like they're not even going to, like they can't make it through Tuesday. Like they got to, uh, they're crazy. Anyway, here we go. Now let's go back to the idea of remembering again. Why do you tell someone to remember? We said this, because you know they will forget. And this is the incredible story that reminds us that God is on the throne and more than enough, and we are simply responding to his goodness. It seems like God thinks that this story of his, of the faithfulness of God and the, the story that these stones represent, the unfailing nature of his word, his kindness and grace towards people, is a story that needs to be continued to be told. Like this story shouldn't stop. There shouldn't be a moment where like, all right, I already told that story, right? I'm getting into the dad zone where I tell the same story over and over. And it bothered me for like a minute. And now I'm just like, keep listening, son, because I'm going to keep saying this, right? I was like, I'm doing it for me now. But anyway, this is, the question becomes, what's going to happen if we keep telling this story? God's like, keep telling this story. Keep telling this story. Keep telling the story of how I came through. Keep telling the story of how good I've been. Keep telling the story of how I provided. And what's going to happen if we keep doing that? If the people of God insist on continuing to tell the story, look at verse 24. That all the peoples of the earth may know. That doesn't sound like an insider handshake, does it? That doesn't sound like an insider information, like, hey, this is just secret cult talk that all the peoples of the earth may know. The story seems to say that what God did for his people and the way his people remember and the story the people of God tell is intended to literally change the outcome of life for all the people on the planet. Let that sink in for a second. God seems to think that these 12 stones and the response to those 12 stones of a parent telling their child of all that God did will change the outcome of life for all the people on the planet. It has that potential. Think about that. Remembering well and telling the story, that simple process makes that big of difference in the world. It's incredible. I don't know why, but I have this expectation in my mind that if I'm going to change the world, I need to do something very difficult and very complex. Right? Like, i got to change the world. i got a lot of stuff to get. Like, this has got to be really hard and very complicated. i got to have a better plan. i got to have a bigger platform. i got to have a better set of rules. i got to be more organized. i got to be more disciplined. i got to have more talent, greater opportunity. But God seems to disagree with all that. God seems to think you don't need a better method and a bigger dream and a higher goal and more discipline and a bigger audience. God seems to think that you telling your son is where it needs to start. You see that? Why your son? Why your children? Because your kids can probably tell when you're full of it. You ever done that? Right? I think about this, like, you've ever had that moment, like, parents out there when you're, like, doing something, and your kid's like, why'd you do that, Dad? And you're like, if you haven't had that before, it's coming. I know there's a lot of young babies in here. Like, when your kid gets old enough to talk, you're real excited at first, and then you're like, stop 
talking, right? But like, cause then they ask you stuff like that doesn't make sense. And you're like red handed, like, oh man, I shouldn't have. You're right. Like those are things like your kids know your life. They live in your house. They can tell if the story you tell actually makes it into the way you live your life. Ooh, that stings a little bit, right? There's some integrity built into remembering well and telling the story with people who actually know you. How many of your parents, like you do, the, like your kids ask you something like, oh, oh, eh, you're right, I'm sorry, right? It stings in a certain kind of way. And the way God often works is that the things he uses sound big and look very small. They sound incredible and they look very simple. God wants to change the world and he's going to use small, simple things in your life to do that. That all the world may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That's an incredible goal, God. How are you going to do that? With 12 normal rocks. And there's probably like this temptation to like make the rocks look cooler. Like, can we paint them some corner? Like, oh, the rocks we got first were small. Can we get some bigger guys to get some bigger rocks? Right? Can we stack them better? Can we like put a little logo on them? Like, can we sign them? Like, no, God doesn't want any of that. Just stack 12 normal rocks. Can you imagine if like, I'm trying to be better at like, calling out other people because like everybody's got the thing but like if there was like a well-established long church thing going on here right can you imagine if they had 12 rocks for the foundation of all that God had done what would those rocks look like by now right just look at the people who serve in those areas they got like big hats and long robes and like fancy chains and they're doing like stand up sit down fight 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 repeat after me like what are those rocks going to look like they're going to be crazy they're not going to be 12 normal rocks And over and over and over, God brings his people back to simplicity, to normalcy, to smaller than you think it should be. God's going to change the world. He's going to use small, simple things in your life to do that. The conversations you have, the stories you tell, the decisions you make because of who you believe God to be. The things in your life that are as common as rocks from a river, those are the types of things that God is going to use to change the world. I'm going to finish here. There was probably a temptation from the people of God to view the promised land as the goal, right? As they step into that land that they've been waiting for for over 400 years, they're like, finally, we made it. We've been wandering in the desert for four decades. Now, when do we get to build real houses? Like, I want a pond. I want to live on a cul-de-sac. Like, let's go. They had been without a homeland for so long, they probably daydreamed every single day about how nice life would be when they finally had a place to go home. But remember the three promises God made to Abraham? Become a nation, live in a land, bless the whole world. So the third promise had not been fulfilled yet, only the first two. So the remembering was not only intended to remember the past, it was to give us a hope for the future. 
Right? There's this foundation of like, we've seen God be as good as he says he is. We've seen God do the things he said he was going to do. We've seen God come through in the past. So not only are we now in the present living in the goodness of what God has done in our past, but we now have a reason to believe in our future that God will do exactly what he says he's going to do. And so there's this hope that is built into the future because of the promises God has fulfilled in the past. Do you see that? So they didn't just get into the promised land. It's like, oh, good. Now we can kick up our feet and relax. No, there's like this hope that is stirred up inside of them. It's like the two promises are fulfilled, and there's a third one coming when that guy's going to come, the Savior of the world that's going to fix everything that's broken. So the remembering was not only intended to remember the past, it was an opportunity to hope for the future. God was good yesterday, so we believe he will be good tomorrow. That's the idea. When this story is told and the two promises fulfilled, there is a natural joy and expectation that God is going to fulfill the third promise just like he fulfilled the first two. You know, when people talk about faith, sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, like, it's just this, you just got to believe. There's no evidence for it. And like, that's not actually what the Bible says. Right? The Bible says that faith is the evidence of things hoped for. And then it actually uses a legal word, the conviction of things not seen. If you kind of study that out, a conviction is what happens in a court of law when people who weren't at the crime scene like, make a conclusion about what they think happened based on the evidence. That's what a conviction is. Like, I wasn't there, but I'm kind of like adding up the dots, and I'm kind of seeing how this thing was going, and this is what I think happened. And so we are a people, again, responding to God, not out of no evidence, not because, like, you came to church one day and was like, you just got to figure it out. No, 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 we've watched God come through over and over and over and over again. And that's actually what led Moses to write his song at the end of Deuteronomy. That song that we sang earlier, Honey in the Rock, right? That's why Moses wrote that song. And, and he's writing and he's like, hey, I watched manna be put on the ground for 40 years. I watched people's shoes not wear out for 40 years and their clothes continue to fit for four decades. People woke up every single day to sustenance on the ground in manna. We, we needed some, some sort of thing to keep us going and we'd find honey in the rock. If God needed to, he'd bring water out of the stone to, to fulfill the thirst inside of us. And what Moses is saying over and over again is like, God has proved himself. Not only enough, but more than enough. And, and he's done that over and over and over again so that we have a hope for the future that he will continue to be enough in the things we're facing. And I'm not telling you this is easy. I'm not telling you that. You're like, oh, yeah, well, God did this cool thing before, so I bet he'll do Like, I do it all the time, right? We showed up to church this morning, and the new building manager can't figure out the schedule. They keep messing stuff up. So our whole children's ministry area is, like, full of stuff. And I'm like, I really want to believe Jesus is enough right now, but can't you get us a good building manager, right? Like, oh, right? I'm fine, right? Or, like, things with your kids. Like, I want God to be enough, but I'm really worried about this for my kid. So I kind of need to fix it. And I, I kind of need to come up with a better plan. 
I really want to believe God is enough, but I just don't think he is. And there's all these temptations to take it your own way or make yourself the center of the world again. Figure things out on your own again. That's why I think this song is kind of like so near and dear to my heart. We're actually going to sing it again as, as we finish. Because we are a people who are responding to the goodness of God as we look back over our lives and watch him be faithful over and over and over again. And if you ask us, we will tell you the story. If your kids go, what are those stones about, Dad? Let me tell you how good our God is. Let us be the people who continue to tell the story of how God, our God is as good as he says he is. Amen? Let's pray.